I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's the Debunking Economics Podcast again with me, Phil Dobby, and Professor Steve Keen. And today we look at Donald Trump, the soon-to-be 45th President of the United States. And we ask, despite his clear narcissistic tendencies and his predilection for forming a firm view on something and changing it a couple of hours later, and devising policies in the dead of night on Twitter, will he actually be a good president for the economy of the United States and for the world. I mean, we head into uncharted territories because America has certainly never had a man like him in charge, and uh, not only him, his cronies who are there to support him. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, former CEO of ExxonMobil. Uh, Treasurer Stephen Nanyuchin, a, a hedge fund manager and Goldman Sachs partner. Uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, a climate change skeptic and an opponent of same-sex marriage and of course chief strategist steve bannon the executive chair of breitbart news the far-right website that gave us headlines like young muslims in the west are a ticking time bomb and there's no hiring bias against women they just suck at interviews Yep, it's got it all, hasn't it? That's the headlines. The really scary stuff, I suggest, is embedded in their articles. So it is a brave new age America is entering into. And you might have guessed, I'm I'm not a big Trump supporter. But aside from all that peripheral stuff like foreign affairs and the safety of the world and human rights and all that sort of stuff, aside from all that, will he be good for the economy? So what do you reckon, Steve? I mean, I I guess we don't know the detail of what he plans to do, but we do know generally, don't we? He wants to push a lot of money into the economy. So is that that going to work for America? It is. Uh, And and there's several reasons as to why. The first is that the Donald, uh, I think he hates being called that. I better call him President Trump. No, no, no. He hates it. Call him the Donald. (laughs) President Trump realises from his own um, approach to property development that uh, spending works. You pump money into a system, it will expand. Yeah. And he's also, he may have exaggerated how bad the unemployment rate is in America, but his of the opinion is much higher than the reported triggers, and that is strictly true. Um, so looking at the, one thing, I've, I've given up on looking at the unemployment data in America. I no longer use that in my own, my own modeling because I regard it as a total fiasco. Uh, it's always looking good. I mean, it, 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 it's looking good. The figures at the beginning of January were looking very good as well. So, uh, yeah, it's always positive. Everyone's smiling, it seems. Yeah, 4.9% unemployment rate, I think, was the last set of figures, maybe even 46 Looks fabulous. That's boom time conditions. But if you look at the employment rate, and exactly the same data sources will give you this, you don't need to go to Breitbart News. You can find it in the <laughs> St. Louis Federal Reserve Economic <laughs> Database called FRED. The employment rate for 25 to 54-year-olds in yeah. America has plunged and hasn't recovered after the crisis. And in fact, on that basis, when you look at the demographics, it turns out there are 2 million people between the ages of 25 to 54 who don't have a job now, who they're, they're relative to the same effective cohort did have back in 2007. And if you go back to 2000, it's even worse. There were there's effectively 4 million less people employed in that age bracket than were employed in 2000. Right. So there's lots of people that can be set to work building the... the um, 
various Trump airports that are going to be built around the country. But if if it is government money, I mean, there is this, uh, and I know it's a neoclassic, you know, it's a textbook argument that you get this, you get crowding out. So if, if the government pushes up spending, all it does is pushes itself in the way of money that the private sector might have invested. Which is false. Right. I, thought, fact, you, I thought you'd airport. say that. I mean, give, give, give me the evidence behind that. Well, the, actually, even I'll start with the evidence because that was a very popular hypothesis back in the 19, when was it, 1980s mm. and uh, early 1990s. And as it happened, uh, the guy who was head of department at my department at the University of Western Sydney, and a good bloke, an Irish guy called Colm Kearney, Colm uh, decided to run with this by doing very, very good statistical analysis. And, and so when he did the numbers, rather than there being crowding out, there was actually crowding in. Right. So he said if you had an increase in government spending, what that would lead to is a decision by the private sector to invest. Yeah, because they're, because not, they're more not, confident, not, because they see the economy yeah, growing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And exactly. I mean, if you know that there's going to be a new Trump airport in um, in Massachusetts, then you know that in the, in the surrounds of Massachusetts, you're going to need a lot of coffee shops, a lot of uh, courier services. Uh, you're going to need uh, uh, infrastructure, particularly if Trump is doing it. Uh, so there's actually a boost the public sector spending and private at the same time out of something like that. Rather right. than crowding out, it crowds in. Right, but... And but, that's false. But, we, we, know Trump's, we know Trump's depending upon that because he wants a lot of these to be private-public partnerships. Right. But Trump's got a... And, and you know, we've got to hope he's got the, the, the right focus here and the right targets. I mean, I'd say the job he's got to do, uh, because we hear so much about those people who are, uh, you know, unemployed or underemployed in the rust belts of America, they're the people he's got to target. So that he's got to somehow create those jobs to uh, meet the needs of, of those people. It's, it's, not, it's not a growth for the whole economy because, you know, at the aggregate level, it looks like the economy is doing all right. It's the, uh, it's the distribution effects that he's got to somehow, with government money, he's got to somehow target and try and uh, ease that distribution problem. Well, it's also beyond that. And as I said, there literally are 4 million less, employed, less workers employed between the ages of 25 and 54 when you'd expect right. people to have jobs. Okay. Okay. Well, that's just helping my point. I mean, there's no point in him creating uh, investment projects which are going to employ people uh, in their 40s and 50s, for example, when there's high levels of youth unemployment. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. I'm, I'm leaving out the youth unemployment just because that, you know, if you, if you look at the figures for the overall population, it's just as bad. Yeah. But I, I chose the 25 to 54 because nobody can argue well, there's been an increase in university attendance or people are retiring more earlier. That doesn't affect the 25 to 54 year olds. So if you take a look at the entire uh, age span from, say, 16 to 64, which is the, the basic range of talking about people who, who can be expected to have a job, they might be doing other things, uh, then there's about probably 8 million Americans who are unemployed, mm. who would have had a job back in 2000. So there's plenty of people to be employed by a, a, private, a public sector boom that causes a private sector boom. And mm. that's what Trump is, I think, expecting. And, of course... The other thing about it is a large part of why there has been such a slump in the American economy is because the government has been cutting back. It hasn't been spending on roads. It hasn't been spending on power power systems. It hasn't been spending on infrastructure in general. And Trump knows he can come along and not only generate the demand but stamp his name and all this stuff as well. Uh, and and that's, that is what I think he expects to cause a huge boom and to be re-elected in a landslide in his second term. Right. Well, that's what he's hoping, isn't he? And, and, and look, I mean, if he gets rid of a lot of the unemployed, then that's a great thing. But um, I'm just questioning whether that's 
actually achievable in a very short space of time. And you have argued, in, you know, That's in conversations before, uh, sometimes it's not easy to turn people into new, you know, to turn labor around. So he can create projects that involve building a wall, uh, great jobs for bricklayers. But if uh, people aren't skilled in bricklaying, um, you know, where are you going to find that labor from? It might have to come from the yeah. other side of the wall. It might have to be imported from Mexico. So it's it's that portability, that mobility of labor that's the issue, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's also, it's also I mean, the um, other issue is a lot of the stimulus will go straight into imports because if you don't have the – you might want to have uh, Apple phones made in America, but they're currently made in China. So uh, you're going to see if you boost the demand substantially, you're going to see – an increase in imports as well, so it's it's a it's a it's a difficult challenge. But at least having a having a crack at it, there's plenty of slack in the American economy to be exploited by a public sector boom that leads to a private sector boom as well. Uh, and what he wants is that experience that the economy is absolutely going so flat out. We've got a shortage of bricklayers and everybody else. He wants that mood because he knows how long America, the working class in particular, has been depressed by the state of the American economy. So. I think he's counting on that. Uh, and, of course, when if, if it starts to be a boom, he'll be doing the same sort of stuff about the economic figures that he's doing about the allegations of Russian spying right now, uh, you know, sending them up and parodying them rather than rather than worrying about them. But, so in that sense, but the trouble is it'll take him several, it can take several years to get the spending going. Well, exactly. It's much faster. It's much faster to do things like a basic income guarantee because if you did that, and pumped extra money to the economy that way and didn't worry about the budget deficit, you'd have immediate private sector spending. So I wonder whether he's going to be frustrated by how long infrastructure starts to, uh, takes to get kick-started and instead going for some of uh, the income sort of distribution stuff that I think he should do. Right, but is he going to have private sector spending, immediate private sector spending, which are just going to uh, increase the level of imports? Uh, of course, his answer to that is, well, maybe I'm going to stick a, you know, a, a, as well as sticking a wall against uh, Mexico, I'm going to put a trade wall up as well. I'm going to uh, put a 10% tariff for, for everybody. That presumably is just, I mean, it's not going to, it's not, 10% is not going to make a big difference, for example, on, uh, on, on cheap imports from China. It's just going to make them 10% more expensive. People are still going to import them, aren't they, rather than have them made in, in America. And those people who are struggling to get by are going to find that it's, uh, the cost of living is more expensive for them. There's likely to be all sorts of effects like that as well. But at the same time, there's a technological trend which, is bringing those jobs back to America. They're not jobs, they're bringing the production back because you've now got increased automation taking place. That, that includes in the, in the very factories in China we're talking about right now, robotics being developed there. And Trump's argument is going to be, well, if, you, if the Chinese can put the robotics in, so can we. Who makes the robotics? And if it's not us, why isn't it? Let's expand the robotics industry. So... Uh, there, there are there are things you can exploit. Right, but that doesn't that doesn't help the that, millions of unemployed people on the Rust Belt. And that's the other problem because if we, ultimately, given this overall technological shift which we're going through at the moment with increased robotics, increased automation, and automating tasks using computer software that used to be done by clerks, uh, then yeah, there's ultimately you're not going to get those jobs to people when the jobs are being eliminated by those technological changes. So a basic income approach. A job guarantee uh, is maybe actually far more effective and far more immediate than what he's trying to do right now. Right. Do you think he'll turn to that? Because that is not. I, I would. I would say that that would be not something that sits in Trump's mind as a, uh, a as a policy that a Republican president would be pushing forwards. 
I know. Uh, but the thing is, he's not a Republican president. He's a Trump <laughs> president. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. He is a man unto himself. What about, though, uh, you know, he, he pushes ahead with this spending. And we've talked before about how he thinks it's going to come from the private sector and probably most of it is going to come from the uh, from the public purse. Interest rate, you know, the, the the likely is likely response to that is that interest rates are going to rise, uh, perhaps two, maybe three times this year in the United States. That those interest rates are going to hit hardest the people who, again, Trump is trying to help. You know, they they could find yeah. that their, their 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 standard of living is on the decline because of his policies. Yeah, yeah that's quite well. It, it's, it's it's going to be exciting. With Clinton, there would have been a beige presidency. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be red, white, blue, and lightning. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be occasionally lightning strikes of, of things going quite wrong. And, uh, and and that's the thing, both the impact of rising interest rates, maybe a fall in credit demand, um, imports rising, tariffs being used to, to defend all that. It's going to be lively. Yeah, it is. And I'm just – so it does get me back because if you don't have that interest rate uh, hike, then maybe, you know, you're going to have inflation starting to rise. The same effects, the same people who get hurt by that, isn't it? Whether it's the – whether they're paying more in interest rates or they're paying more for goods and their wages aren't going up uh, it, it, as much as that. It, again, I'm just I'm – hence the question, is his plan going to work? And I used to be saying, well, the idea sounds good, but damned if I know. You're starting to sound like a classical economist. No, no, I, I, think, I think it's going to work, but what, what the, the fact is that he's not taking into account that he's, again, got more capacity to be aware of than any any previous president is the level of private leverage in America. It's still too high. Yeah. So the reason we're having all these prices is that we've accumulated all this private debt, you know, 1.7 times GDP at the peak for America – 1.5 times now and rising again, but well above the levels of the golden days. When, when, you, when you talk about making America great again, the fastest way to do that would be reduce private debt back to the levels it was back in the 1950s. Right. Well, look, if anyone's, now, if anyone's going to do that, it's going to be Trump, isn't it? I mean, he's taken so many country, companies now to bankruptcy. Uh, he just, you know, he doesn't have the debt disappear. Uh, he could just I, do the same so, thing yeah. with the country. He's got a much more flexible vision of what debt is than anybody in the politics has ever had before. And, uh, and this, the trouble is, I've caught up with a bunch of ideologues as well in the Republican Party and the extreme uh, right movement as well that is so anti-government, they think that anything the government does must be bad. Uh, but if, if given, given the capacity he has as president now, he could actually bring in the sort of modern debt jubilee argument that I've been going for for a long time and reduce the level of private debt that way. And if he did that, then a lot of the other pressures he might face would be diminished. Yeah. But uh, whether that, so there's two very unlikely policies: a, a jobs guarantee to get money in, into the economy straight away and being spent by people to cause a private sector boom in, in a monetary injection, and then a modern debt jubilee to wipe out the debt levels or reduce them drastically and enable that spending to happen again. But uh, I think fairly long odds against either of those being tried. So. Doing the other stuff while, he, while, while the policy advisors are ignoring the importance of credit and ignoring the, the overload of debt the economy has, uh, it's going to leave us some very exciting times. I still think on balance that it will stimulate the economy fairly dramatically. But those that, that debt, I understand the idea behind the debt jubilee. It's almost like pressing the restart button, isn't it? Let's, you know, we, mm. we, we, we've done bad. Uh, let's, let's start again and try and get it right this time. But those people who are hurting the most, I suspect, you know, the people in the Rust Belt, 
I suspect they're not people carrying heavy debt. They just, you know, they just don't have the income. It's not that they are, uh, you know, they've they've got a house and maybe the house is uh, uh, they've got negative equity in the house now because it's in effect worthless. But it probably wasn't a very expensive house in the first place. They're not probably carrying a great deal of debt. They, their issue is they just don't have a job. They've got no money coming in. Yeah, but there's, 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 the debt jubilee hit that in two ways because uh, the, there are still some of them with debt and that have put them out from, from negative equity to positive equity again. Uh, but also because there's more – if you reduce the level of debt uh, and you do it using a government approach of you know, cancelling government debt using private money creation, then you actually boost demand at the same time and those people who haven't got a job are likely to get one. Yeah. So it's it's possible. But uh, with the mix, he's going, probably going to go for large infrastructure spending, trying to get a lot of it funded by the private sector, uh, putting up tariffs to try to stop the, that uh, demand leaking out into imports rather than stimulating the domestic economy, uh, and then the, having a, cent- a central bank which is independent, which can push up rates re- when it, even regardless of what Trump says, uh, then it's it's – Likely to be an exciting mix, and as you say, a big boom, probably a big increase in inflation rates, and also a surge in imports. So, um, lively, lively policy combination for uh, President Trump to try to balance. Yeah, but is it? Does it have uh, longevity to it? Uh, final question for you. So, if if a lot of it is government infrastructure projects, once those infrastructure projects are finished, those people don't have a job anymore. Yeah, well, what, that's, and this is what's likely to happen. After my political thesis, I think I've, you and I have discussed this one beforehand. Mm. I think he wants to, to have a big boom in his first term and halfway yeah. through the second term, get back to balancing the budget, and then in his notional theory here, um, lead to a booming economy with a balanced budget, which he can hand over to the first female president of America, Ivanka Trump. Right, we have we have spoken uh, about that before, and that, but that is that that means his plan doesn't work. It means it's it's it a it's a Trump plan designed to make Trump look good, rather than a Trump plan uh, being you know Trump's New Deal, which is going to save the country. It's just going to yeah, save but, his presidency. But, but the trouble is that the, the, the balancing the books will cause a serious recession. Yeah, because this, this is something against thing you and I've discussed on occasion. We need to do it more detail. But if the government saves, like you know, see inverted commas, the public sector dis-saves. Yep. Every dollar that's an additional way of food paying down government debt becomes an increase in debt for the private sector or a fall in their, their bank accounts. And that that will literally cause the same sort of recession that occurred in 1937 under Roosevelt when he was also persuaded to try to balance the books and caused a recession which drove unemployment in that case from 11% back up to 20% again. Right. So um, yep. I, my theory is, and I'm writing a little piece for Forbes on this front, that uh, – uh, Trump will has got a, like a four point plan. Point three, which is balance the books and hand over to, over to a, a, a booming economy over to a banker, and it will backfire because the balancing the books will cause a recession. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so if so, the the answer is if what he's doing is successful, they just need more of it, and it's got to be ta- it's got to be tapered to use that ter- to use the term uh, we don't like using, but it's got to be tapered. The, the approach has got to be tapered rather than just uh, a short, sharp shock at the end of it. Well, it's got to be both a short, sharp shock and then an acceptance that the government should normally run a deficit. Yeah. Because if you want the private sector to save and actually increase the amount of money in its bank accounts, you've got to you, – the, you, the private sector on its own can't create aggregate savings. The actual amount of money in their bank accounts is determined by how much banks lend to them and how much the government runs a deficit. Now, if the government tries to run a surplus – it's taking money out of the private sector. So the only way the, gov- the private sector can get more money in its bank accounts is to borrow more money from the banks, making it more indebted. 
You and can- that that is exactly what happened when back in two thousand, uh, back in the 19, 1937, uh, when Roosevelt tried to balance the books. The private sector suddenly had much less money in its accounts, and rather than taking on more debt, it tried to reduce its debt at the same time. And the impact on the economy was a huge slump in output, and therefore a rise in unemployment. So I think Trump faces the same danger. All the and good that's work. One thing I'm about. Oh, yeah, all the good work gone by the wayside. You need to have an audience with this man, don't you? I mean, uh, I wonder where we can get you in front of Trump. Uh, and I wonder. There are a few I- people who are trying, but I, you know, again, <laughs> I, I, I won't hold my breath waiting for it. But that's if, he, if he's somebody who could actually understand this stuff, because getting it through the Washington consensus, the, the Clintons of the world, was just impossible. Uh, but Trump, because he's had that history of, of you know seeing debt as a rather rubbery and elastic thing rather than a, an iron maiden that has to be obeyed, um, he hopefully has the intellectual uh, capability and the experience to say, well, maybe this will work and maybe all this obsession about the government having to balance its books is nonsense from people who don't understand the economy. Yeah. Oh, maybe we'll send him this podcast. We haven't said anything too bad about him. Maybe we should try that. Uh, we'll talk I did to- say the Donald at the beginning, so I may have made an error there, but we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> well, look, uh, I don't think I started out too well either, uh, but I'm sure he's had far worse. Uh, well, we know he has. Uh, look, great to talk again. We'll talk, we'll, talk, we'll talk again very soon. Thanks for your time, Steve. You're welcome, mate. And uh, look, that was a free episode of the Debunking Economics podcast. And we do this normally a couple of times a week. uh, And you can subscribe and uh, get the full length episode uh, once or twice a week. Next time, for example, we're going to look at inheritance tax. We we know that the uh, rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. And a lot of that is coming from inherited wealth. Uh, Who can afford to buy a house these days unless mum and dad have dipped their hands in the pocket to help pay for it? So would a bigger inheritance tax level the playing field so that everyone had an equal chance and otherwise if we don't do that are we finding that in fact uh, the passed on money from generation to generation is creating asset bubbles particularly in housing we'll talk about that next time on the debunking economics podcast and you, you can subscribe at debunkingeconomics.com. i'm phil dobby thanks for listening Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.